0: Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Monday, June the 27th. In this week's podcast, we're discussing a new series that has been launched today at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine here in the United Kingdom, and it concerns the role of the private sector in healthcare. This is often quite a controversial topic, so it's terrific that uh, we're doing a series on it. And I'm delighted to be joined by one of the series gurus, that is Kara Hansen, who is on the line from the London School. Hello, Kara. Hi, Richard. Tell us your full title, name and affiliation, please.
1: So I'm Cara Hansen. I'm Professor of Health System Economics in the Faculty of Public Health and Policy at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine.
0: And also, sorry, I'm getting you to do all the work here because I don't have it in front of me. The series in question, could you just read it out because it doesn't trip off the tongue very easily, but it does concern, as I've introduced, we're going to be discussing the role of the private sector in healthcare in relation to universal health coverage.
1: The series is called Universal Health Coverage, Markets, profit and the public good.
0: Thank you very much for that. Cara, let's begin painting a, a picture. And of course, it's, it's only a general picture, but, but it gives us a bit of context, really. How is the private sector uh, involved in healthcare, particularly in low and middle income settings across the world? Can, can you paint a picture? And I do realize, of course, that nearly every country in every region is different in the way it organizes its uh, health system.
1: Well, that's a great way to start because this heterogeneity is one of the key elements of the private sector that we have uh, tried to, d- to draw out in the series. There's a variety of different types of healthcare provider in the private sector. This could range from itinerant drug sellers or small independent doctors practices or even corporate hospital chains that operate in multiple cities across the country. They vary in size. They can be these large, complex, multi-department organizations with sophisticated systems or they can be small sole practitioners. They can differ in their orientation. They may be for-profit or non-profit. They might be run by NGOs or faith-based organizations, some of which may actually behave more like government. They vary enormously in quality. Some provide services, while others, typically working at the lower end, who may be less than fully qualified, can provide insufficient and sometimes dangerous services. The private sector is important. These providers play a, a substantial role for certain disease conditions, including those which are really public health priorities. For example, in Nigeria, more than 90% of antimalarial drugs are provided through the private sector. And in some countries in Asia, at least two-thirds of care-seeking for diarrhea and fever and under five is through the private sector. It's really variable, though. It varies from country to country, and it also varies by socioeconomic status. The private sector tends to be consistently used more for reproductive health services, as uh, some analysis by my colleagues here at the school have shown, by the wealthier income quintiles. I guess the final thing I want to say about the role of the private sector is it's actually very hard to measure. If we look at health fine metrics for, um, for describing the role of private sources in financing, but we just don't have... Of these for capturing the importance of the private sector in service delivery. Um, we've got reasonable data for, for childhood illness and for reproductive health services that come from the DHS surveys. But these data aren't really standardized in terms of the range of providers they described. They're collected only for a limited range of countries, and they don't touch most adult health conditions at all. And as we think about uh, the role of non-communicable diseases and their burden rising, we simply don't have the data or even you know, routine ways of, of tracking how important the private sector may be for these conditions.
0: The reality is that the private sector is going to play an increasing role, particularly in the health systems of lower middle-income settings so. Really, it's about forgetting what might be our ideological positions about this and actually looking pragmatically and saying how can the public and private parts of the health system work together. That's going to be really important, isn't it? Understanding how these two different models can coexist
1: absolutely right and and one of the messages in this series is the importance of looking at these interlinkages between the public and private sectors and often how it's not very revealing to look uh, to compare the pr- public or the private sectors, but to say how do they work together to shape access to services for the population as a whole. And this message comes out really clearly in the first paper by Maureen McIntosh and her colleagues, which addresses this diversity head on. And they actually set out to describe a number of different typologies of systems. Let me give you a couple of examples. So there are some countries that really have a dominant private sector. In places like India and Nigeria, we can see that uh, in the very high levels of of pocket spending and total health expenditure. We can see through some statistics how important the private sector is as a source of primary and secondary care. And we can also see that in its relation to the public sector, which in both those places is quite deteriorated. And we see that through a very low share of public expenditure, public health expenditure in GDP. And so one of the conclusions from this is that where the public sector simply doesn't provide an adequate basic service, people will tend to go elsewhere. And that's where we see this growth of the private sector. And particularly if these people are poor, the only care that they may be able to afford in the private sector could be of a very low quality. There are some other settings where the private sector is really complementing a universalist public sector. If we were to look, for example, at Thailand or Sri Lanka, we can see that in those countries, public spending, it really is, it is adequate and sufficient to provide an accessible, reasonable quality public service. And the private sector adds to this you know, by providing you know, services that might be more comfortable, you know, better hotel services in hospitals, for example, or by providing a, you know, a, share of, a greater share of primary care to those who are in wealthier income groups.
0: Clearly, the the kind of, if you like, glaring emissions concerning the private part of healthcare provision is this lack of of governance and and accountability. That's often the nature of the beast, isn't it? So surely... Whilst acknowledging that the private sector has a role to play, uh, often a very important role in in some settings, we need to get the kind of accountability and governance that we expect in the public sector. Is that right and is that reasonable?
1: That is absolutely right. And we normally think of that accountability coming in the form of regulation. So that might be statutory regulation by the government that sets out requirements for market entry. Or it might also be professional self-regulation, as we see uh, by the medical professions here in the UK. And it is certainly the case that many countries have real challenges with enforcement of their regulatory systems. So these systems may be underdeveloped or they may be terribly out of date and were designed for a time when the private sector really was much smaller. So we have a problem in many places that the, the regulatory framework just isn't suited for the what we might describe as pluralistic health systems that governments now need to manage. But I'd say also is that regulation isn't the only way to influence What the private sector does. Uh, One of the papers uh, by Catherine Goodman and Dominic Montague sets out a variety of other types of relationships that we might have with the private sector to shape their behavior. They call this prohibit, constrain, encourage, or purchase. So the regulatory system is very much about constraining. Um, Prohibition is an option. A few countries have tried to directly um, prohibit private practice, usually with pretty limited success. What tends to happen there is that private practice does continue, but outside of the regulatory purview. And so they operate clandestinely and actually make it even harder, paradoxically, to to control their actions. But there are other things that can be done as well. We can be thinking about um, encouraging behaviours. There's a huge raft of different types of interventions around trying to improve the quality of services offered in the private sector through social marketing or franchising or accreditation or sometimes even helping to subsidise them so they can improve the quality of services that they provide and make sure that they are affordable to target populations.
0: And just a little bit more on how public systems can, can work. With private systems, and I don't just mean in a sort of fledgling complementary way, I mean in a really involved way, um, for example, is, is it possible, does, does, does this already exist in some parts of the world where, for example, you might have a service provided by the public? part of the healthcare system, but funded by the private system, or even vice versa. So do you know what I mean? Rather than just the private sector, say, providing nice, comfortable beds uh, in, in a nice place, which is lovely, but that's not really getting into the nitty gritty, isn't it? Do we actually have examples of whether two systems coexist in, in a sort of equitable and favorable way?
1: Sure. There are some some very interesting examples of that. So I can think of, for example, in some post-conflict settings, public money has been used to effectively contract out the primary care system, usually contracting to non-profits. That tends to be NGOs that provide those services. But that has uh, been something that's happened in Afghanistan and and in Cambodia in the aftermath of conflict. There, the money is not national government money. It tends to be um, strongly supplemented by donor governments. And it does tend to be contracting NGOs because they tend to be the providers that are on the ground that can meet the the quality requirements. But we also can look much closer to home. Actually, if you look at the U.K., the health service is funded publicly, but GPs are self-employed private um, organizations, and so we do see that mix. If we look around at the OECD, there's a a variety of roles played by the private sector. In some countries, there are hardly any private hospitals, while in others, in Mexico, for example, 70% of the hospitals are private. The key is in using public funds to contract them, because we know we can't advance towards universal health coverage without public funding. Providing that the capacity to to contract with private providers is there, it's entirely possible to have a a relationship where private providers are brought into the universal system with public funds.
0: So that assumes you've got to have the capacity there to begin with, and that's got to come from public, i.e. government money.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, let's just wrap up with a couple of concluding thoughts. One idea is that in terms of a conclusion for the private sector, is providing incentives to make the private sector operate in a more equitable way. This sounds very highfalutin. Is that really possible? It sounds a little bit fanciful.
1: The conclusion from our series is that we shouldn't really be looking at the private sector in isolation. We may not expect the private sector to be serving the poor. And in fact, it may not be efficient to subsidize the private sector to be serving the poor. And particularly if the parts of the private sector that are being used by poor people are these lower quality, sometimes dangerous providers. So we want to take a much more disaggregated approach to unpacking the performance of the private sector to be able to really identify targets. Where those subsidies have operated, they've usually been in the context of, of individual services, not at this looking at the system as a whole. And to be honest, they've very rarely been either scaled up or sustained. So I think that sort of subsidizing the private sector to the needs of the poor, at least in these um, low-income settings, is probably not really feasible as a strategy to universal health coverage.
0: Perhaps returning to the point I made at the very beginning, we have to remember, don't we, that this, as as you've said a couple of times, this series is all about the context of sustainable development and the journey to universal health coverage, UHC. We mustn't forget that, must we? And we mustn't let our judgment and our language get in the way of that, regardless of whether you are totally pro-public funding or whether you're a staunch advocate of the private system. It's not about taking sides here, is it? It's about coming up with a pragmatic path to UHC, is that right?
1: Well, that's right. And I think it's terribly important to distinguish clearly between the financing side and the provision side. The evidence is very clear that to advance to universal health coverage needs a substantial commitment of government funds. In the last paper, the one that's written by Barbara McPake and myself, we show that where government is spending at least 5% of GDP on health, you see an, an almost, almost like a disappearance of the informal unqualified parts of the private sector. Because that commitment of government funds means that government is providing an affordable and accessible alternative. It can actually compete away the the private the very low quality parts of the private sector and almost regulate it by competing with it. So that's one important thing. The second is that on the provision side it is entirely entirely compatible with universal health coverage to have a public-private mix. But what the shape of that public-private mix will look like is going to depend from country to country. In some places that will really be predominantly public. In other countries where they would like to uh, to purchase services from the private sector with those public funds, it is possible to do that. You know, that purchasing decision, which is how you move money from a pooled fund to uh, to secure services from providers, allows you to say what services you want to purchase, what what are the requirements of the providers that are going to um, that are going to get involved in those? in providing those services, at what quality standards, and at what price. So it is entirely possible to purchase services from the private sector with public funds. It does require capacity, however, so that's kind of an intermediate stage. Many low-income countries won't be in in a position to do that widespread purchasing function from the private sector, but many middle-income countries are getting there, and in fact many middle-income countries do actually use public funds to purchase services from private providers and have that as as part of their route to universal health coverage.
0: Indeed. It's a fascinating topic uh, subject, Cara. Thank you very much for discussing it. I hope your launch goes well. And for me, the take home message actually is capacity, 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 because unless you've got the capacity, which has to come through public financing, then I think that the role for the private sector is not, not terribly clear. Would you agree with that?
1: I think that's right. To me, you know, the, the lesson is really that the public and private sectors are very closely linked. The type of private sector you get depends on what your public policies are. And that's both about what level of funding you afford the system and therefore what alternatives you create to the private sector. And it's also about being able to create an environment that protects people from you know, the worst excesses of the private sector and makes sure that, you know, that good quality services are available to all. So that system perspective, I think, is really the important lesson that comes from the series.
0: Cara Hansen, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Thanks very much for talking to The Lancet.
1: My pleasure.